morning. How's everyone doing? Good? This half good? Everyone else now? Uh, as Kelton mentioned, I'm going to be talking this morning about Jesus' baptism. And uh, the title of this is going to be Jesus Baptized with, with kind of a question mark because I kind of wanted to bring out just kind of, it's kind of a scandalous claim that Jesus was baptized because, uh, special of all, specifically because what baptism meant and, and everything. And so it's, it, some people try to use it as saying that Jesus got baptized and therefore there was no need because it was a baptism for repentance of sin. So people try and say, put that on Jesus that he was, uh, he had sin. That's why he got baptized. And, but that's not, that's not why. And uh, thank the Lord, it's not why. But, uh, but I kind of just want to do like a an overview, kind of a we're gonna go back and hit some stuff in the Old Testament and bring it back in the New Testament. And we're gonna be bouncing around here and there, and it's gonna be just a really. I hope it's just an an, an overarching like big picture view of of Jesus' baptism, the significance of it, the importance of it. I feel like a lot of times we kind of skim over it, we see it, and, and we read over it, and like, oh, yeah, that's cool, Jesus got baptized, you know. Um, but, but really, like, whenever God revealed to me just the, uh, just the, his glory in the baptism, in Jesus' baptism, the significance of it, the importance of it, the, the just grandeur of it, uh, it it just blew my mind away, and so uh, it's been on my heart for a couple months now. And and whenever Robert asked me to come up here and fill the pulpit, I was just like, man, that's that's what's on my heart, and that's what I wanted to share, and that's what I believe God gave me to share. And uh, um, but speaking of Robert, this morning I asked him. He texted me um, <laughs> like at midnight, which I wasn't awake. Uh, and I got it this morning, and it said, good morning, you know, and it said seven hours ago, he said, good morning, and, uh, and, and everything, and then I asked him if he had anything that he wanted to, to share, wanted me to share with y'all, and uh, this, is, this is just amazing what's going on. Um, he said, we're on our way now to a Jesus film showing, and this was, this was at like 9.30 this morning. Um, he said, this morning we had four different churches uh, where we were able to preach, and we got to preach in a tiny Baptist church, and there were uh, 19 that came to Jesus. And uh, one of our team was asked to preach at a funeral where there was 8,500 people. And as many as 5,000 people prayed to receive Christ in that service. And so, and, it, and also went out on the, the service also went out on the radio, and, um, and he was just saying how, Man, he's just saying how much God is moving, but that, I mean, that brought me to Acts. I mean, that, you can't hear that and think about the thousands that were added in Acts, and and uh, just want to share that with you because it, man, it it moved me just to just to think. I mean, we think that's so far away, but you know, Christ is right here, and we have that opportunity right here uh, in this state, in this area, where we are, where we. I mean, we're going to go out from here and branch out everywhere tomorrow. We're all going to be in different parts of Oklahoma, and I'm going to be in Ada, and I mean, it's just like, 
we're all going to be in different places where we have the opportunity to spread the gospel and to spread uh, God's glory and God's word. So uh, this morning, I kind of want to start you out with kind of a picture of uh, what's going on. And I don't know, do we have children's church? No? Okay. I just want to make sure so I didn't just like run over it. Um, but I kind of want to ask you a couple questions. I want to have y'all ever been through like a corn maze? Has anyone ever been through like a corn maze or a walkthrough maze or anything like that? Yeah? <laughs> uh, what's, what's tough about going through a maze? What's tough when you're walking through it? Get lost. What, what would make it easier? Lawnmower? <laughs> Yeah, besides going through the walls. That's my man right there. Uh, being able to see over the top, right? When you're in the maze, when you're going through the maze, all you can see is wall, path, wall, path. You don't know what's going on. But when you kind of when you kind of step out and you take that look over the whole maze like that, you can see you can see where you need to go. You can see where the path is. And, you know, some of the mazes have, like, a picture in them, right? You know, like, some of them, you'll be going through the whole maze, and then, like, at the end, you, like, whenever you get out or you get up on a hill or something, you can see it's like, oh, that looks like a chuck of corn or something, you know, right? Um, but anyway, that's, I want you all to keep that picture as we go, because that's, we're kind of going to go through the maze of Scripture here, and I, and I hope and pray that whenever you see it and whenever we touch on these things, you'll be able to step back and you'll be able to look at Jesus' baptism and see, like, wow, like, this is a picture that I didn't even think that I didn't even see just going through the Bible. And, you know, that's, it's something that keeps me in check as far as reading the Bible. Um, you know, in, our, in Western thinking, we're so systematic. We're so left to right, and we read through, and that's it. But... Whenever we're going through the Bible, God has a, a great picture that he's trying to show us through it. And it's only whenever we step back and look at it all that we can, we can see it. And so, um, oh, if you have a Bible with you, open it to Matthew 3. And that's kind of where we're going to start off. And then, um, then we're going to go to Genesis, and to everywhere. So be ready. Hope you have one of them like rubber things for your thumb, you know? Never had one, but they always look cool. Guy in my work's got one, he's just like tearing through pages. I'm like, dude, calm down. Killing it with that rubber thumb. Uh, anyway, let's go ahead and open up with prayer, and we will jump right into Matthew 3. Father, uh, I pray for your word this morning. I pray for people to see past me. I pray that, God, that they don't see me at all, Father, that they, that it all be you represented, it all be your Holy Spirit, God, that has spoken, it all be your word that is preached, it all be your glory that is shown. Uh, Father, I, I thank you, God, that it's, it's only because of uh, what we're talking about that I can even stand up here. Father, I pray for your word to do its work. For those, for your word to do its work and, and Christians, God, that, 
that we walk through our daily walks and, and we do everything, that this be something that pricks our heart, that just, um, God, just we see you in a different light and we come to love you more and trust you more and, and rely on you more. And, and Father, for anyone in here that doesn't know you, Father, I pray that, this, that your word just, God, you just knock them down, God. You knock them down and then pick them right back up. Father, I pray for hearts in here, just as Brother Robert shared, that all the people that came to know you in Africa, I pray for anyone that come to know you this morning. Anyone that come to know you to have a deeper faith in you, to deep, deepen their relationship with you, God. For ultimately, God, I just, I just pray your glory be seen and uh, that as we go through your word that uh, we can worship you in it and praise you in it, Father. And all these things I say in Christ's name. Amen. All right, so Matthew 3. We're going to read here 1 through 12. And then we'll kind of we'll break it down afterwards. So starting in, in verse 1 in Matthew 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who is spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going about him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees come into his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. And even now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that, has, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. For I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. For his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. And so, I know this is all kind of pre-coming up to Jesus' baptism. And uh, I know there's some really meaty stuff in there. And, and I'm probably just going to leave that for y'all to all the, all the burning and everything like that. Uh, I, I don't want our focus to be on that this morning. I, be, I want it to be on uh, what John is doing here. Um, so we need to first ask, what was John doing? Um, John came preaching. What was he preaching? Um, why was he baptizing? What did it even mean? And so... If we go back to verse 2, we can see that he was repeating, repeating, he was preaching repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Okay? And then uh, uh, in Mark, in Mark 1, they kind of, he expounds on this more about what John was doing. He said, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all of Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. And in, and in Mark 1, 7, 8, he said, And he preached, saying, After he comes, he is mightier than I, 
the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So, simply put, you know, John came telling the people to repent and, and baptizing them into the water for the forgiveness of their sins, okay? And so, now the, the baptism back then was not unheard of. It was not, this wasn't just a new thing that John came up with and, and he was bringing to everybody, but this was, this was actually something that they, they, a lot of the Jewish people did daily. And as weird as that sounds, like they've actually unearthed like little, they look like little bathtubs and people's houses and stuff like that. For they would, whenever they would come in from anywhere, uh, or they would come in to take like the, the Passover meal or something like that, they would have to bathe in that as a sign of repentance, as a sign to cleanse themselves, you know. And there's also these little baptism pool, bathtubs, whatever you'd call them, like, uh, like on the way up to the temple and stuff like that, and, and, uh, which sounds awfully exhausting, right? Just like bathing yourself like all the time. Uh, that would be brutal. But, um, and so we see kind of uh, how they viewed it, but it was also, it's also if you were a Gentile, you would get baptized. If you wanted to be a Jew and you were a Gentile, you would get, there was a series of things you had to do, and the last thing was getting baptized. And once you got baptized, then you were now a new person, okay? And you were, they, they took this, like, like we do with a lot of things, they took this way out of control, okay? They, they even used it to, uh, to get out of debt, okay? As crazy as that sounds, they'd be baptized. As a Jew would become a Gentile, they're a new person, so that, I don't have that debt because that's the old guy, you know? And there's even stories about people like doing it as a, and this is really disturbing, but as, as like mother and son, they would get baptized into Jews and then they would, they would get together with each other. They would get married because they're new people. They're not, they're not mom and son anymore. It's like, you know, they, they took it to way extremes. But, but to kind of give you a picture of what they thought of uh, baptism and, and, and kind of what was going on, but, you know, we see John come on the scene and he's baptizing something different. He's, he's preaching this baptism, and it's kind of the same, but it's, it's different because it's not, it's, not a one, it's not a thing that you do like daily or a thing that you, you, know, you put in your house or anything like that. And he's saying, come and repent. And then these people are getting washed and leaving that sin behind. And it's, and it's repentance to a new life. They're, they're leaving their sins behind. And so, uh, um, so when John comes on the scene, he's, he's preparing this way for Jesus, okay? And, and what I thought was cool is, you know, when he comes preparing the way, I kind of think of the, uh, I kind of think of like the old medieval, medieval times whenever, whenever like there'd be a king coming and there'd be like that guy coming in front and he was like proclaiming the king. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's like, and what's neat was like, he came and he would actually, he did, his job wasn't just to speak the word, it was to smooth out the road so that the carriage could come through cleanly. And, um, and that's what, that's the picture we get of John. That's what John's doing. And so he's preparing the way for Jesus, you know, by baptizing, 
for the repentance of sin into new life and and um, and a repentance that lasts and and makes a person new and so you notice that that drew people from all around uh, what's crazy is we see we see like in in and back in Mark, it says all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were coming, were going around him and were being baptized by him. And you notice his, his kind of his, his evangelistic techniques aren't really popular, right? I mean, the dude goes out into the wilderness and starts preaching. And, and what happens? All these people from the big cities from Jerusalem and Judea come there to him. And... Um, I don't know if that, I don't know if that gives y'all excitement, but it does for me, considering we're a little church in coal, and people would probably say we're out in the wilderness, right? You get what I'm, get what I'm, smell what I'm stepping in. Get it? I knew that would wake you up. Uh, but you know, just like him going out and preaching in the wilderness, like we have the opportunity to, to be that to be like John, to be in, the, we're in the wilderness, and, and man, if God, you see what God can do through one man in the wilderness, what about 78 people in the wilderness? I mean, with all the towns around us and everything, but, but uh, that's just a little extra that I just couldn't help but, uh, so going back into Matthew, Matthew 11 through 15, um, we see a couple things in these verses. Uh, Jesus came to John to be baptized, and uh, and we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go. Th- I'm gonna read 11 through 15, and then we're gonna sit, switch to John to kind of see uh, what John has to add to this. So, and in uh, Matthew 3:11 through 15, it says, "I baptize you with water for repentance, for he who is coming." After me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. For he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is at his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee. You notice how immediate that is. Then then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. But John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. And do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And then he consented. And in uh, John one twenty nine it says, uh, The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So this is what, whenever you picture that, okay? Picture John being out there. He says, I baptize you with the water of repentance. And then whenever Jesus comes down, what does he say? He says, man, Jesus is coming to the water to be baptized. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. Now keep that in mind. So that John obviously knew in this moment who Jesus was. It was obviously revealed to him who Jesus was that he was coming to take away the sins of the world, right? And so, and he knew what Jesus had come to do. And John was thrown off. He, he doesn't know what to do because Jesus comes up to him and says, I need to be baptized. Well, what did, 
what did John just proclaim about Jesus? That he's coming away to take away the sins of the world. Okay, well then why do you want to get baptized, Jesus? Why do you want to why do you want to come in here and repent of your sins if you're coming to take the sins away? John is like, what's going on? And John is also looking to hand off the baton to Jesus. Like this is this is the moment that John's been waiting. All of his ministry, all of his preaching, this is this is where it came to a peak for him. And he even says, you know, like, make me less and make you more. He's like, he he's even like, he's looking to hand off the baton to Jesus. And whenever he sees Jesus, he's kind of side, he's kind of sidelined by the, the way Jesus is like, baptize me. Like, you need to baptize me. And 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 John very well should have. You know, Jesus, you notice that Jesus doesn't tell him that he's wrong. Whenever John's like, whenever John tells him, no, you need to baptize me, Jesus doesn't tell him, hey, you're, that's wrong. You notice that? He's just like, no, dude, that's not how it's going down. This, this is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. And, um, and so, when we think about that, and we think about how Jesus threw this curveball about wanting to be baptized with John, and John says, I need to be baptized by you for, for do you come to me? And, uh, and we see that he doesn't disagree with them, but then Jesus says, you know, let it be, it is fitting for us to fulfill righteousness. And, and I want to keep those, that last part, the fulfill all righteousness, because, you know, what, what that means is kind of where we're going to hook the rest of this. Uh, what is that righteousness? What, who is that right? What is that righteousness? What does it mean whenever Jesus says this is to fulfill all righteousness? What, what is Jesus talking about? And to, and to get this fully, we're gonna we're gonna step back into the maze analogy, and we're gonna travel back to Genesis, uh, specifically Genesis six. Okay, in Genesis six five through eight, we see the story of Noah. And I'm sure every one of you knows the story of Noah. Um, you've probably read it in a kids' book. And, and all that, but, but in Genesis 6, and if mine doesn't match up, I got the ESV, so that's why it's, it may be different. I'm not, I don't have like the, some funky Bible or anything, but um, it's just the English standard. Um, so in Genesis 5 through 8, we see, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to skip through here and kind of just get the picture of the flood through here, so... Um, if you just bear with me. In Genesis 6, 5 through 8, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he made, he made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. And so the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made, I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now if we skip to Genesis 6, 11 through 14, it says, now on, on the earth, now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their, their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end to all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. Make yourself an ark of gopher wood, make rooms in the ark, and cover it inside and outside with pitch. Okay, going on to Genesis six seventeen through 18. For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth, 
This is how he's going to destroy it. And destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life and under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. But I will establish my covenant with you, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, and your sons' wives with you. And skip ahead to Genesis 7, 20 through 23. After it is all said and done, the waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them uh, 15 cubits deep, and all the flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on the dry land, in those, in those whose nostrils was breath of life died. He blotted out every living creature, every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left and those who were with him in the ark. So I read all that, not to put you to sleep, but to get you the full picture of, of kind of what's going on, okay? So, you know, we were touched on Jesus' baptism and what that meant, what John was preaching, uh, baptism for repentance, and uh, and then we come back here to Genesis, and this it's all going to tie together. We're kind of gonna. It's kind of like we're coming in with a wagon and picking up pieces, and then at the end we're going to have something that's going to be pretty, and we'll understand what it is, right? It's kind of like watching that guy with the curly hair paint on PBS. It's like, what are you doing, dude? And then at the end, it's like, oh, it's like a beautiful picture, you know? Um, and so. We see in the flood account wicked and sinful people all over the earth. So, so bad that God has to cleanse the earth. And um, you, could, you could even say that he kind of, he baptizes the earth. He cleanses it from, uh, from wickedness. And notice that Noah found favor in God's eyes uh, because he was a righteous man. And Noah follows God's commands. He builds the ark, and God floods the earth, leaving sin and the wicked in the water. And so, so you see kind of this picture already. You, you go back to Genesis and the flood, you see, you see almost what John's preaching, this baptism. Jesus, John was preaching the baptism of forgiveness, right? The people would come into the water, into the Jordan where he was baptizing, and they would leave their sins, and they would come out new. Well, what's happening in the flood? There's wickedness in the world. There's wicked, and it's so bad that God floods the whole world, and then out comes new life from Noah, right? You see and kind of seeing how, you know, and you might think, well, it's just water and, you know, big big deal. But, but we go, if we go next to Exodus, okay, we'll see that this is not just one piece and it's not just one thing. We're going to keep trucking through the, through the, uh, through the maze with our wagon and keep picking up some stuff here. Okay, so if we go to Exodus 13, we see that, you know, this is after the plagues, after everything. Uh, God leads his people, Israel, out of Egypt and, and he, he sets the Israelites free. And so they're leaving Egypt and it's in verse, and Exodus 13, 18 says, God led the people out of Egypt, around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. So God makes this, and, and I don't know if y'all have ever looked at a map of like what's going on, like where God leads the people, but it's not very strategic if you're thinking of like setting up battle plans or you're thinking of, you know, 
fighting off the Egyptians, he, he leads them to a, a sea, a dead end. And he leads them in such a crazy path that, you know, Pharaoh's like, hey, these people don't know where they're going. So let's go, let's go attack them. And, um, and, and going on into Exodus 14, 1 through 31, we see that, then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Phi-Hiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. Uh, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. And so for Pharaoh, Pharaoh will say to the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land, and the wilderness has shut them in. And so you see, like, Pharaoh is like, man, these guys are lost. They don't know what's going on. I'm going to come and uh, I'm going to come and get them, you know. And and he his heart is hardened, and he comes to a, he comes to take over Israel, which he thinks is going to be easy. I mean, these guys are right up next to a sea. They're they're right there, easy. They're it's like shooting ducks in a barrel, right? Um, and so the Going on into verse 23, the Egyptians pursued and went after them and into the midst of the, into the, midst of the sea. Now this is after, uh, I skipped too far ahead, but he says, uh, going back to verse 18, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord and I have gotten glory over Pharaoh and his chariots. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on the right and to their left, and the Egyptians pursued after them and went into the midst of the sea, all the Pharaoh's horses, all his chariots, and all his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee for, from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. And then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots and upon their horsemen. And so Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course. And when the morning appeared, and as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen, and all the hosts of the Pharaoh that have followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained, but the people of Israel walked on dry land, on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right and on their left. And the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead in the seashore. Israel saw the great power of the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and his servant Moses. Okay. So we see another, the next instance of water. Okay. We see... We see all this going on. Uh, we see God pulling the Israelites out. And what does he do at the very end? He leads them to, this, to the water, to the sea, seemingly dead end. And then he, he opens it up for them. All right? Get this picture. The, the Israelites come through on dry land. The Israelites are being saved by God through dry land. And then what happens? The people that are following the wicked the corrupt, the oppressing Egyptians, the pharaohs, they're what? They're left in the water, right? It even says that they, they saw their bodies like the next day. Like they saw, their, they, they saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Uh, so get kind of that, you see, you, see kind of, you see kind of a couple pieces in the wagon and you kind of see what's going on, right? Uh, uh, but this is not 
only in here. If we go to if we go to uh, if we go to Corinthians, Paul even talks about this. He says uh, he says, "For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea." This is what he's talking about right here. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. It's a little hint, right? Going back, it's kind of like, kind of like, whoa, whoa, what you talking about, Paul, right? Uh, and so we kind of see what Paul's talking about. And I, I hope you're starting to get intrigued. I hope you're starting to, to really just like sink your hands in this, but... Um, you may still be thinking, oh, you know, two stories uh, about water and about uh, stuff going on. But no, if we, go, if we go to Joshua, okay, Israelites, they got out. They were delivered through the sea, what we just saw, right? They go and wander in the wilderness for 40 years, which sounds aw- awesome, right? Let's go wander. Yeah, buddy. And so, right before they are delivered in the promised land, what happens? Does anybody know? They have to go through a river, the Jordan, actually. Um, so, they go through the Jordan. Uh, and we'll kind of pick this up in Joshua three fourteen through 17. And this is, this is so, so cool. Uh, starting in verse 14. So, when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all of its bank throughout the time of harvest. Verse 16, The waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heap very far away. At Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing toward the sea of the, of the Arabah, the sea the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite a Jericho. And now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over the dry ground until all the nations finished passing over the Jordan. Whoa. Did y'all get that? Did y'all see, did y'all see a little thing here in verse 16? Check this out. It says, The waters coming above stood and rose in a heap for very far away at Adam, the city. So the, get this, the waters are backed up all the way to the city of Adam. Huh. Where did sin start? Adam, right? So we see a picture here, and that, that blew me away. Like, I'm not going to lie, Robert showed me that, and I was just like, whoa, like, all the way back to Adam. But, uh, and you see they pass. They pass through, okay? And the water is backed up to Adam. But, but still, if we keep going, if we keep going through this journey, if we go to the book of Kings, the book of Second Kings, we see a man named Naaman, okay? And this dude is filthy. He's got leprosy and he's nasty. And, and how does he, what does he have to do to, to be cleansed? What happens in his life that he has to be cleansed? He goes, he goes down to Elisha. And Elisha tells him to do what? Does anybody remember? Dip seven times in the Jordan. So this man with this nasty, filthy sin, this nasty, filthy leprosy, this 
covered his whole body, can't be cured. He goes and he dips himself in the Jordan. He thinks it's crazy, right? He, he kind of fights this idea, but he goes and he dips himself and he comes out clean. So he leaves that leprosy in the water and comes out clean, okay? So, and this is not even Old Testament. Jesus even, Jesus even points to this in the New Testament. Um, I know just a couple weeks ago, we went through the demons getting cast out of the, the man, the legion dude, right? Y'all remember the story? The dude that was in the cave all crazy and like, I'm sure he was like foaming and stuff. At least that's how I picture him. And, uh, but anyway, what happens, right? Those, the unclean spirits get cast out of him, right? And they go into what? Pigs. Pigs are unclean animals for them, right? So we've got unclean spirit going into unclean animals. Then what happens to them? Into what? Into the sea. What is going on? What is going I mean, even in the New Testament, we see this. And so... Uh, so if you look at the end of Mark 5.13, he says, So he gave them permission, the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs, the unclean animals, and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the sea. Whoa. Do you catch it at the end? I mean, that's... So let all these kind of events kind of marinate as, as far back from Genesis to Matthew... Um, and, and, and as we go back into Matthew and Jesus getting baptized, you think no wonder why, Jesus, why John didn't want Jesus to be baptized, right? No wonder why he was confused. He didn't know what was going on. John's like, dude, like, I know all the Old Testament. I know about water and about what it means and about uh, you go into water to, to get rid of your sin and you leave it there and you come out new. And, and Jesus is like, no, okay? He says, you see, you see that this is needed to fulfill all righteousness. And so now you're kind of seeing this righteousness and what he's talking about. Um, that we have seen event after event that sin and unclean has been left in the water. And uh, when Jesus comes, it's, it's this, this is so great. Now get this, if you haven't caught anything else, it, this is the greatest part. Because uh, we, we are the sinners. We are the people in Noah's story that should be left. And Noah is taken off. Like we, like, and if we don't realize that, that apart from Christ, without knowing Christ, that we, we are supposed to be washed in the water. We are supposed to be taken away without Christ. Like We're not going to be on the boat with Noah. Right? Because we're full of sin and we're connected to sin. And so, uh, whenever, uh, whenever we see Jesus come in here as his first, this is his first act of ministry. Okay? He starts his ministry off by coming to John to be baptized. And so we see his first act of ministry is to go into the water and and whenever he goes into the water, he is the sinless God. He doesn't have any sin. He has no need to go in and repent. But when he comes into the water, he takes on all that sin that is in the water. All the sin that goes back 
to Genesis, that goes back to Adam, that goes back, I mean, all the way to Adam, all that sin, he takes it on. And, and, and you think about it, and you, and you go back to Matthew in 3.16, after he's baptized, you see, uh, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased. Do you get it? Do you see what we're carrying in our wagon? Jesus comes, Jesus comes and he, he gets baptized, the sinless man, the God of the universe. He gets baptized and he takes on all that sin. And whenever he comes out, what does the Father say? He said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. I am well pleased because he is coming here and his first act of ministry is to show you all that I'm here to take on the sins of the whole world. I'm here to take on all the sins. He's here to fulfill all the righteousness, all the righteousness that we could never have, that we could never make, all, even our lack of repentance. We can't even repent right. And Jesus comes in and repents for us in the baptism. All of that, Jesus takes on all of it. And, he, and, and you get this just huge picture, and, and you think that it's not... And you see how he starts it, and how does he end it? How does he... You see, he's got these bookends of his ministry. He comes and he takes it on and he shows like, this is what I'm coming to do. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm showing you through baptism. I'm coming to take on the sins of the whole world. And then what does he do at the end? What does he do at the cross? He does it, right? He does it. He takes on our sins at the cross. And, and thankfully he does. And, and you see that this Jesus, this is who we are to be baptized in now. And we see this in Romans. In Romans 6, 13, and I, I, I want to cap it off with this, and, and just let this soak in. Romans 6, 3 through 11. Paul says, do you, know, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Jesus Christ? Who, all of us who have been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if, I, if we have been united with him in death like, like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Look at that. I mean, how glorious is that? I mean, this is the righteousness that Jesus is talking about. This is the righteousness that he wants to, to, he wants to give you, that, that he has given you on the cross, that he has done for you. And so... 
as we go into invitation, I just want to ask you one question. You know, have you, have you been united to Christ in, in His death? Have you, have you been baptized into Jesus Christ? I mean, all, so many good things are right there in what Paul talks about. But it's all, it's all His righteousness that we receive. I mean, it's, and that's why it's so, that's why it's so crazy. That's why the baptism makes sense. That's why uh, his death and resurrection makes sense. And that's why it's so good, right? And so, I ask you again, have you been united to Christ, to his death, and united to his resurrection in a new life?